Hi, welcome to In Here. In here. I'm your host, here. Alex Tashiro. This week's guest is Shane Hunt. Shane is a nursing student and nurse technician based out of Seattle, Washington. And uh, Shane and I are longtime friends. We've been friends since about as long as I can remember, since I was a very small child. Uh, anyhow, this week Shane and I talk all about um, the mind-body connection and uh, care, hospital care. What's it like in some of those uh, end-of-life or very serious illness situations um, being in hospital, if you're a, a little bit British like uh, I feel sometimes, or being in the hospital here in the States. Um, and we just kind of explore that zone. Uh, neither of us are particularly uh, experts in it, but Shane does have quite a bit of experience in uh, interacting with and witnessing uh, people in that situation. So I, uh, I really find his insights to be very expansive and to kind of address um, what for me is one of my kind of like longtime fears, which is being uh, very ill in the hospital. I'm sure a lot of uh, folks can relate. Anyhow, so we're gonna um, we're gonna get into that. Please like, rate, subscribe, write a comment, uh, leave a review, five star rating on iTunes if you're on iTunes or if you can pop over there. That really helps the show. Really helps us give us a little bit more visibility, and uh, will help some more people listen. So we can keep these kind of wild ideas out there moving and shaking and you know intermingling with everybody. Um, also, if you have a question for the show or something that you'd like for me or uh, me and a guest to discuss in a future episode, please email the podcast at inherepod at gmail.com. That's I-N-H-E-R-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow us on social media as well, on Instagram and Twitter, it's also in here pod, spelled the same way. Anyhow, let's get into my interview with Shane Hunt. Enjoy. It's always this chaotic or what? Yeah, long time listener. Uh, <laughs> First time sitter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, so you were talking about, let's get back into it again, sorry, uh, how in, yeah, you can see these people that they got sick, but you don't, you don't see an explanation for it in their behavior or in like their, necessarily in their circumstance. Do you get some sense that it could be related to their emotional state or does that not seem to be how it feels from, from that perspective? I'd say it's hard to know because I don't yeah. know them on that level. Right. Like you can maybe tell more things like that with people in your life or people you know. But yeah. that was an interesting question because it's something yeah. I have to like would think about, you know. I think there's a lot of like um like negative association between like it's just in your head or something that feels like dismissive of experience. But I guess I'm more interested in this notion of like the mind body connection and how mm -hmm. those things are kind of always feeding into each other and how like how our body feels is affecting how we, you know, feel inside emotionally and vice versa. Um, but yeah, yeah. So like, I think there's some um, element of that that sometimes I think could come across like a blamey way or something like, oh, you're just sad and you got cancer and it's your fault. And that's never what I would ever mean. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting to think of, right, like 
something that we haven't found a cause for, right? It's like there's still perhaps room to keep looking for a cause that might be found in a, in a zone that we have perhaps haven't considered. Yeah. Um, but even as you're talking about the body's infinite complexity too, right? It's like, who knows where that could lie? Yeah, I don't know, or that could lie at all. Right, yeah, and I'd say like on the idea of mood or, you know, because I don't know enough about them, but I would say mm. a lot of the people on the floor that I work on seem to have a like profound appreciation of life. Yeah. And they seem so positive and they're so supportive right. and really nice. So it's, it's hard to imagine that that could be the sole cause. Right. You know, it's like yeah. a, the amount of negativity, but you know, like things change once you get sick. So who knows? Right. Right. There could almost be some like positivity that's added from, or like appreciation for life, maybe that's added mm-hmm. from sickness and mm-hmm. stuff. And perhaps I guess on that same note, yeah. Do you feel like these sicknesses have like a purpose for these people in their like narrative or that it's more of like a, like a detriment um, and like a, you know, I don't know. Do you ever see like someone where it feels like, I know people tell that story sometimes themselves, but it feels like they, it was nice that they got sick almost. I say it's a great question as well. Uh, just thinking about, there's so many different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are also really, like, wide-sweeping and, like, kind of... Yeah. And, and kind of dismissive of the individuals, which is all, like, a unique story, for sure. Do I believe that sometimes that could be part of their story versus, like, detrimental? I say... Yeah, ex- yeah. Yeah, I'd say it could go either way. Because so I, I think... Yeah. I think I have the fear that any time I would be sick or any time I felt sick, that it's always just, like, a negative. It's always just, like, taking me down. But I think... Um, I've been really interested in the notion that like challenges can really, um, there's a cat that's uh, maybe going to make noise. Uh, this is Scooter and he, we're, I might spray him. I might spray him again with water just so you know. There is a little bit of uh, animal cruelty that goes on on the podcast. Some cats get sprayed with water. domesticated and of course being human we're like well let's spread that to everything let's like yeah make nothing wild and because i guess we probably associate it with right. domesticated being less dangerous yeah yeah that for sure and even like our interactions with what we call nature are generally speaking something that we have domesticated it's like a it's like a park or it's the woods where we like really changed everything and really mixed it up to where it's like very safe for us to be in like the real like wild is, is something that's a little bit more rare, especially like rare for me to experience, you know, anything that's really truly wild. And so, yeah, there is some interesting notion of that. Yeah, we're kind of always in a, in some way, a human made environment. Do you think that's some of uh, the appeal of the wild to some people? Is that it's just different? Yeah. I don't know, that it's not domesticated? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, there, I think there are things that are necessary in the wild that are shamed in society. And so I think there is a certain element of like those, those feelings maybe being a part of who we are and that, that dissonance is, I think, tricky. Like even I think on a level of something like, like going to the bathroom is disgusting and gross and you do it alone and no one should ever see it, you know? 
but like if you're in the wild, that doesn't really like become a huge priority, um, or you know, or or nudity or something like if it was hot and you're in the wild, like who cares? You know, you're gonna wear whatever is practical to to get done what you need to get done. I don't know, and I mean it's hard to it's hard to even conceptualize some of this stuff too because like. It feels like it's all a spectrum of like where do you draw the line of like when is it really wild or like what is you know what is real human behavior because this is even you know human behavior is what we're doing now still so it still is like in some level in our nature I guess I don't know it's very interesting though but I think it gets hairy when people start telling other people how we're supposed to act you know I don't know yeah Right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's when it gets a little bit a little bit tricky. Um, how have you found actually in the medical um, in the medical field in terms of like people's uh, interaction with their own care? Like, how much control do people generally have, or how much do you see that as like yeah? How much do you see that that dynamic? Or how much control do they want? Even would be yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, on my floor, for those who don't know, it's a leukemia floor. Wow. So it's what we like specialize in, but we will get people with other types of cancer. So it can be more of a general oncology if we have the rooms available. And then yeah. beyond that, it will even have people that like have, they're there, they're hospitalized for a reason that's unrelated to cancer, but that's, that's less common. Right. I'd say, could you repeat part of the question? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just curious, I guess, do people feel like they want more control over their treatment than they have? Or do you feel like maybe often they want to, like, not think about it and just, like, trust the doctor? I mean, I'm sure it's different with different people, but, yeah, yeah how have you seen that kind of dynamic play out? I'm so interested by that. Yeah, you'll see some people, and maybe it's, like, surprising if you've never been around it, it was to me just, like, kind of relinquish control. yeah. And surrender to it a little bit. hundred percent trust you, and that's that's it. And sometimes that comes from, you know, like they might have had distrust at another hospital, and then they come here, and we might give them better care. Yeah. You know, or or they've been through it all before, so they're like, okay, this is something I can trust. But. Yeah. Not not everyone, of course. Yeah. Of course, like not everyone is like that. Some people need everything in control. They want to make their own bed. They want to, you know, make sure they do their own showers, which I understand that because it can feel like losing your independence. Right. Being in the hospital. Yeah. So where, where they might still relinquish their control in the way of their care for things they can't personally do, like handing their own chemo and putting a port into their chest. Right. You know, things that they can't do. Yeah, it's, you can't look on the you know, wiki how or whatever, how to put a port in my chest. You know, you go to Home Depot, you get you get some razor blades, is, <laughs> sterilize them. It, and you'd still probably... <laughs> oh, yeah. Not do so hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was Dwight from The Office who said, he's like, no, I don't tip the waiter. He's like, I don't tip anyone who does something that I can do for free. Oh. He goes, I do, however tip my urologist because I, <laughs> I can't pulverize my own kidney stones <laughs> I mean, there's something to that like we got to yeah. just count on other people sometimes yeah <laughs> well that's such a big do? thing yeah too is that like that surrender is so interesting there's a, a Ram Dass documentary um that's on Netflix it's really cool I think it's called Going Home and he's uh dying he in the documentary he died uh, recently okay. um 
but uh, but in the documentary he's dying and it's like about him like surrendering to the experience of dying and like enjoying that that level of surrender and like and having like this joy through it it's very interesting and just being because he's like totally reliant on the people around him at that point like he's he's in like a wheelchair and like you know they have like a special chair that like lowers him into a pool and he still gets to like swim in the pool and they even like they all go to the ocean together and stuff and he can still swim in the ocean but just with all his friends with him you know and so like yeah there's such an element of that there's a, I think that I have a lot of fear around that level of surrender that's very frightening to put that much trust in, in other people yeah absolutely yeah and it I think it varies from person to person and I always just try to remember as a, as a person who's just like helping out like not to take it for granted like some people yeah. are independent enough where they can like be on the toilet alone for a while yeah and so then I might leave them there while I go to another room but then I'm like I gotta get back quick because I don't want them <laughs> to, to be feel, stuck yeah because they can't left. get off the toilet they can be left right. on the toilet yeah other people you'll stay in there like just leave please <laughs> and you're like sorry <laughs> yeah yeah you know uh, it's it's an interesting thing because privacy is also a huge thing right. to give up. Yeah, because you it's a, you practically kind of have to for some of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it's funny because they'll be like when you're giving them a bed bath, like try to maintain your their privacy, like put a gown over half of them while you do it, and put yeah. the gown over the other half while you do the other half, kind of thing. But yeah. I feel like you might be in a similar boat where if, like, either of us were just bed-bathed, it'd be like, it's whatever. It's like, it's already... Right. I'm already there. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I think I think that stuff I would... I think I would get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think, like, something like... Yeah, I mean... I feel like it would so depend on the social dynamic, too, though, because if it was, like, say, right, like, I mean, obviously, we're friends, and I like you, and I'm sure most of the people that you work with get a good vibe from you, but if I'm interacting with, like, someone that I don't really like, and then, like, I have to, like, take a shit in front of them, like, that seems, maybe it's even, you know, that's fun, you know, you get to kind of, you get to mess with them or whatever, but, and I hope that's the place I would get to, but there's some part of me that would be, like, I, upset that I didn't have a choice in my vulnerability, whereas the other party could be as walled off as they wanted to be, you know, that would be hard, I think, mm-hmm. but... But perhaps empowering in a, in a way, too, to just be like, you know what, like, this is me, like, whatever, you know, like, yeah. Do you find, do you, does it seem like people almost sometimes become more honest in that process? Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And, yeah, incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Because like, something they have to get used to. Yeah. I would say just being, you know, like their their own mortality, as we've talked that about. That, too, like, right. <laughs> Gosh, it's all it's all in one big old bundle yeah yeah so everyone's at a different place with that right but what is that like what is that like watching people like so do you would you say that you see people where you see a lot of acceptance as well yeah i think one interesting part that i think will change is our generation ages i from what i understand a lot of people in our generation are less religious right and so people that might be dying right now that are in their 70s and beyond still might be fairly religious or were raised. Or, or at least when they're dying, they're, they'll go back, right? Right, and so I think that helps with passing is, you know, yeah, just being like, I'm going up and I'll be a spirit or yeah. whatever their version of whatever it is. Right, yeah, yeah. There's some, some continuation yeah. often in that, in that version of it, yeah. So 
as far as that goes, I think that will be like a major change that I'll probably see as I become a nurse will be like people yeah. being less okay with death. Yeah. Cause, because yeah, cause there's not really much of a framework for, for the atheistic model for death. Yeah. It's like the fear of death is very real for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and it's just kind of, it's, it's then posed as like, well, that's the end of what you are. It's over. Like whatever you are is over. And that's, that's interesting. I, I don't, you know, I definitely think there's some truth in that, in that like the physicality is over and I, I'm open to something else continuing for sure. But I also like, yeah, I don't know. There is something I think it's, I think it's partly with a lot of um, shadow stuff. It's more how frightening it is to think about it or how frightening we all are told that it is because it's like not, because um, everything that's alive dies and so, and every person dies. And so there's some sense of like, why would that be the worst thing that can happen to somebody? Is mm -hmm. you could die when in reality, like, ever you will. Like the worst, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's so, it's such an interesting thing. It's like, oh, what happened to that person? They died and you're like, that sucks for them so much. And obviously like, yeah, for sure. Like that does, it sucks to be ripped out of this, you know, thing I imagine, especially if you're on a roll with it, uh, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be ripped into something else or into nothingness. That sounds horrible. But, um, but I guess the notion that it's always horrible and that like, it's always worth avoiding and dodging is really interesting too. Yeah. I would say it's, it's huge just that it's unknown. Yeah. Um, cause like before life, we don't really know what was going on, but we definitely right. probably didn't know that life was going to happen. <laughs> Right. And so, like, it just the change of, of moving from one to the other. Yeah. Because, you know, like, the beginning of life is exciting for us because we're in it, but maybe the beginning of death is exciting for people that are dead. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Mean, like, I can't venture to say that, but, like, right. it's, it's like, well, why, the, why not? Yeah, yeah. There's the, um, the Buddhist, the Tibetan Buddhist idea is that there's this place called the Bardo State. Where you go for like, I'm, I might be getting this wrong, but I want to say 44 days. It might be like 40 days. That's what I heard in a podcast recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. That sounds correct. Yeah. Was it from me? Okay. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's how I like to really keep my facts in check anyway. It's yeah. like, do I think that? <laughs> I do. Good enough. It's 40 something. Uh, yeah, 40, like, okay. 40 some days. I mean, I heard it from the Midnight Gospel. This great guy, right. Jason Louvre, is talking about it on there. And then I've been reading a little bit of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Just to like kind of explore that a little bit too, um, but in the um, in the Bardo state, it's where you like, it's like a, it's very illusory. Like all these, it's almost like you're hallucinating at the beginning of it, and then like you start to like go into like it's a dream. It's like another kind of a dream, and then um, like there's a big element of like lucidity and dreams with um, the way they kind of think of it. It's and so like a lot of um, those early like the there's the bone tradition which is like very early buddhist tradition and they would all like train to lucid dream from a very young age it's like a big part of your like practice your spiritual practice and they would have like a special like this special kind of grass this like plant they would put under their pillow to like facilitate dreams and then like they would like you know you would level up as you like got different levels of lucid dreams you know um and so part of their whole like goal with that is to then in the bardo state become lucid and become aware that you're that you're dead and that you're in between lives and that then you can like point your energy 
more uh, more effectively toward a life that you would want, or you can choose to like opt out of reincarnating. Is the thought, and there's a lot of um, there's initially a lot of nobility put on the thought of opting out of reincarnation, but in more recent versions of it, that's been seen as less noble. There was a there's this story that. Um, that the uh, Buddha was talking to a bunch of his disciples, or it could have been some disciple of Buddha talking to disciples, I'm not sure. But, um, but at some point he said like that to be a bodhisattva, which is a bodhisattva is when you are enlightened, but you choose to return to the human incarnation to help to raise other people up and to enlighten them. Um, and he said it's way more noble to be a bodhisattva than to get out of like, to be, uh, than to be in nirvana and to be enlightened. Like it's way better to come back and be working at life instead of opting out of it and like apparently a bunch of the people listening like died of heart attacks because it was so like shocking to their system of belief or whatever like um, you know is what you hear yeah um, story yeah yeah that. so that's like one framework for it that's very interesting and is yeah. based on a lot of old stuff but that it still is unknown you know um but it's interesting to start to think of like frameworks of like what do i what do i think it is you know like what do you what do you imagine right now currently at this at this point about the afterlife yeah like what what do you picture like when you picture it what 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 what's the feelings like like where do you go like what what happens if you could imagine it's more of a hope i would say yeah, than yeah. like what i imagine you know i cuz that's interesting right but that's yeah. uh i would imagine or hope that you just get to be sort of similar to maybe being like having astral projected you know yeah just a like an essence of sorts or a spirit but without a physical body to you i've sometimes so i've done a couple of like out of body experience stuff and sometimes what that feels like is i'm almost this like buzzy kind of like energy body do you feel like it would feel like that almost like would would you imagine a human silhouette with legs and arms or do you imagine like more more abstract more abstract I would like yeah. formless is how i would say in, yeah in my imagination not necessarily buzzy but i guess i don't know how that energy would be <laughs> right you know because what what contains us but our body in our mind right is right. our body contains us but in a way I'd, i feel like it doesn't it's like a container yeah. that canon does hold us but like we're so much more we spill over the edges absolutely yeah yeah definitely yeah so that's, yeah, yeah that's what i that's would so think cool. yeah. like there's so much energy surrounding a person yeah yeah for sure so be yeah so like we're only contained to such a level so i don't know maybe you become kind of an everything because yeah. you're less contained than before but i like to think that the yeah. spirit itself would still have a, a core yeah there's something so, to it yeah that's yeah. i'm i'm fascinated by that notion or like that that dif that possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some there's something to the spirit that it is. It's very interesting. Yeah, cuz but that's I guess what I would imagine is that yeah. Afterwards you just kind of become uh, free of your like earthly confines. <laughs> what do you think that feels like? <laughs> like to use a word that was used, enlightening <laughs> probably. I don't know, very yeah. uh, freeing. Yeah. I just yeah. See yeah, that hopefully, sounds cool. Hopefully it feels good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully it be, hopefully it feels good. Because <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. It might feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there. This is also that Jason Lou uh, guy mentioned this again too. But like 
the French call the orgasm a little death. It's like le petit mort or whatever. And then like, so like death could be the big orgasm is what they think. It's like when you lose yourself, when you're like not in yourself and like that, that could be that moment when you're like, it's like not just the loss of all faculties, like also the loss of all inhibition, like just, yeah. Or even the loss of identity briefly uh, or something, you know, like you're just in, you're the moment you're not yourself sort of. And that's in, in that version of that feeling. I mean, you know, it's hard to describe feelings. Um, and, and they're all different, different times too. Yeah. So like, I'm sure, you know, every orgasm is a different level of that, a, um, death. a level of a death perhaps. Yeah. As a, but it's interesting to think how different that is from like the way our whole society is walking around and like acting, which is like, if you can avoid the death, like that's the most important thing to do instead of like even doing good. It's like more important to like, don't die. And then after you don't die, do good. You know, and some spiritual places, they start to get into the zone of like, is that, you know, and then some also some other like, like in war, we kind of have that belief. Risking your life for someone else. Yeah. Right. It's very noble. But like on an airplane, it's like, fix your mask first. Right. (laughs) Before helping others. It's like your safety is always the most important. Or don't take that risk too. There's so much I think like, don't. Yeah. Like, I mean, even like a lot of, I think a lot of our control of each other is based on like safety. The like kind of the illusion of safety almost is what I've heard it called too. <laughs> you could think of it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. There's, I'd say, a very cultural aspect to like thinking that dying for someone's a very noble thing to do. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for. Thanks for coming and thanks for doing this. Dude, it's just fun to come out. It's nice here. Thank yeah, you. Anyone who can't see this right now, it's very nice here.